Section 5 of The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Golden Sayings of Epictetus by Epictetus. Translated by Hastings Crosley. Aphorisms 91 through 115. 91. His son is dead. What has happened? His son is dead. Nothing more? Nothing. His ship is lost. He has been hailed to prison. What has happened? He has been hailed to prison. But that any of these things are misfortunes to him is an addition which everyone makes of his own. But, you say, God is unjust as this. Why? For having given the endurance and greatness of soul, for having made such things to be no evils, for placing happiness within thy reach, even when enduring them, for open unto thee a door when things make not for thy good, depart, my friend, and find fault no more. 92. You are sailing to Rome, you tell me, to obtain the post of governor of Knossos. You are not content to stay at home with the honors you had before. You want something on a larger scale, and more conspicuous. But when did you ever undertake a voyage for the purpose of reviewing your own principles, and getting rid of any of them that proved unsound? Whom did you ever visit for that object? What time did you ever set yourself for that? What age? Run over the times of your life, by yourself, if you are ashamed before me. Did you examine your principles when a boy? Did you not do everything just as you do now? Or when you were a stripling, attending the school of oratory, and practicing the art yourself, what did you ever imagine you lacked? And when you were a young man, entered upon public life, and were pleading causes and making a name, who any longer seemed equal to you? And at what moment would you have endured another examining your principles, and proving that they were unsound? What then am I to say to you? Help me in this matter, you cry. Ah, for that I have no rule, and neither did you, if that was your object, come to me as a philosopher, but as you might have gone to a herb-seller or a cobbler. What do philosophers have rules for, then? Why, that, whatever may be tied, our ruling faculty may be as nature would have it, and so remain. Think you this is a small matter? Not so. But the greatest thing there is. Well, does it need but a short time? Can it be grasped by a passer-by? Grasp it, if you can. Then you will say, Yes, I met Epictetus. Aye, just as you might a statue or a monument. You saw me, and that is all. But a man who meets a man is one who learns the other's mind, and lets him see his in turn. Learn my mind, show me yours, and then go and say that you met me. Let us try each other. If I have any wrong principle, rid me of it. If you have, out with it. That is what meeting a philosopher means. Not so, you think. This is only a flying visit. While we are hiring the ship, we can see Epictetus, too. Let us see what he has to say. Then, on leaving, you cry. Out on Epictetus for a worthless fellow, provincial and barbarous of speech. What else, indeed, did you come to judge of? 93. Whether you will or not, you are poorer than I. What, then, do I lack? 
what you have not. Constancy of mind, such as nature would have it be, tranquillity, patron or no patron, what care I? But you do care. I am richer than you. I am not racked with anxiety as to what Caesar may think of me. I flatter none on that account. This is what I have, instead of vessels of gold and silver. Your vessels may be of gold, but your reason, your principles, your accepted views, your inclinations, your desires are of earthenware. 94. To you, all you have seems small. To me, all I have seems great. Your desire is insatiable. Mine is satisfied. See children thrusting their hands into a narrow-necked jar, and striving to pull out the nuts and figs it contains. If they fill the hand, they cannot pull it out again, and then they fall to tears. Let go a few of them, and then you can draw out the rest. You, too, let your desire go. Covet not many things, and you will obtain. 95. Pittacus wronged by one whom he had it in his power to punish, let him go free, saying, Forgiveness is better than revenge. The one shows native gentleness, the other savagery. 96. My brother ought not to have treated me thus. True, but he must see to that. However he may treat me, I must deal rightly by him. This is what lies with me, what none can hinder. 97. Nevertheless, a man should also be prepared to be sufficient unto himself, to dwell within himself alone, even as God dwells with himself alone, shares his repose with none, and considers the nature of his own administration, intent upon such thoughts as are meet unto himself. So should we also be able to converse with ourselves, to need none else beside, to sigh for no distraction, to bend our thoughts upon the divine administration, and how we stand related to all else, to observe how human accidents touched us of old, and how they touch us now, what things they are that still have power to hurt us, and how they may be cured or removed, to perfect what needs perfecting as reason would direct. 98. If a man has frequent intercourse with others, either in the way of conversation, entertainment, or simple familiarity, he must either become like them or change them to his own fashion. A live coal placed next a dead one will either kindle that or be quenched by it. Such being the risk, it is well to be cautious in admitting intimacies of this sort, remembering that one cannot rub shoulders with a soot-stained man without sharing the soot oneself. What will you do, supposing the talk turns on gladiators, or horses, or prize-fighters, or, what is worse, on persons, condemning this and that, approving the other? Or suppose a man sneers and jeers, or shows a malignant temper. Has any among us the skill of the lute-player, who knows at the first touch which strings are out of tune, and sets the instrument right? Has any of you such power as Socrates had, in all his intercourse with men, of winning them over to his own convictions? Nay, but you must needs be swayed hither and thither by the uninstructed. How comes it, then, that they prove so much stronger than you? Because they speak from the fullness of the heart, their low, corrupt views are their real convictions, whereas your fine sentiments are but from the lips, outwards. That is why they are so nerveless and dead. It turns one's stomach to listen to your exhortations, and hear of your miserable virtue, 
that you prate of up and down. Thus it is that the vulgar prove too strong for you. Everywhere strength, everywhere victory, waits your conviction. 99. In general, any methods of discipline applied to the body, which tend to modify its desires or repulsions, are good for ascetic ends, but if done for display, they betray at once a man who keeps an eye on outward show, who has an ulterior purpose, and is looking for spectators to shout, Oh, what a great man! That is why Apollonius so well said, If you are bent upon a little private discipline, wait till you are choking with heat some day, then take a mouthful of cold water, and spit it out again, and tell no man. 100. Study how to give as one that is sick, that thou mayest hereafter give as one that is whole. Fast, drink water only, abstain altogether from desire, that thou mayest hereafter conform thy desire to reason. 101. Thou wouldst do good unto men? Then show them by thine own example what kind of men philosophy can make, and cease from foolish trifling. Eating, do good to them that eat with thee, drinking, to them that drink with thee. Yield unto all, give way, and bear with them. Thus shalt thou do them good. But vent not upon them thine own evil humor. 102. Even as bad actors cannot sing alone, but only in chorus, so some cannot walk alone. Man, if thou art aught, strive to walk alone and hold converse with thyself, instead of skulking in the chorus. At length think, look around thee, bestir thyself, that thou mayest know who thou art. 103. You would fain be victor at the Olympic Games, you say. Yes, but weigh the conditions, weigh the consequences. Then and then only, lay to your hand, if it be for your profit. You must live by rule, submit to diet, abstain from dainty meats, exercise your body perforce at stated hours, in heat or in cold, drink no cold water, nor, it may be, wine. In a word, you must surrender yourself wholly to your trainer, as though to a physician. Then in the hour of contest, you will have to delve the ground. It may chance dislocate an arm, sprain an ankle, gulp down abundance of yellow sand, be scourged with the whip, and with all this sometimes lose the victory. Count the cost, and then, if your desire still holds, try the wrestler's life else let me tell you that you will be behaving like a pack of children playing now at wrestlers, now at gladiators, presently failing to trumpeting and anon to stage playing when the fancy takes them for what they have seen. And you are even the same, wrestler, gladiator, philosopher, orator, by all turns, and none of them with your whole soul. Like an ape you mimic what you see, to one thing constant never, the thing that is familiar charms no more. This is because you never undertook aught with due consideration, nor after strictly testing and viewing it from every side. No, your choice was thoughtless. The glow of your desire had waxed cold. Friend, bethink you first what it is you would do, and then what your own nature is able to bear. Would you be a wrestler? Consider your shoulders, your thighs, your loins. Not all men are formed to the same end. Think you to be a philosopher while acting as you do? Think you go on thus eating, thus drinking, giving way in like manner to wrath and to displeasure? Nay, you must watch, you must labor, 
overcome certain desires, quit your familiar friends, submit to be despised by your slave, to be held in derision by them that meet you, to take the lower place in all things, in office, in positions of authority, in courts of law. Weigh these things fully, and then, if you will, lay to your hand. If as the price of these things you would gain freedom, tranquillity, and passionless serenity. 104. He that hath no musical instruction is a child in music. He that hath no letters is a child in learning. He that is untaught is a child in life. 105. Can any profit be derived from these men? Aye, from all. What, even from a reviler? Why, tell me what profit a wrestler gains from him you exercises him beforehand. The very greatest. He trains me in the practice of endurance, of controlling my temper, of gentle ways. You deny it. What, the man who lays hold of my neck and disciplines loins and shoulders does me good, while he that trains me to keep my temper does me none? This is what it means, not knowing how to gain advantage from men. Is my neighbor bad? Bad to himself, but good to me. He brings my good temper, my gentleness, into play. Is my father bad? Bad to himself, but good to me. This is the rod of Hermes. Touch what you will with it, they say, and it becomes gold. Nay, but bring what you will, and I will transmute it into good. Bring sickness, bring death, bring poverty and reproach. Bring trial for life. All these things through the rod of Hermes shall be turned to profit. 106. Till then these sound opinions have taken firm root in you, and you have gained a measure of strength for your security, I counsel you to be cautious in associating with the uninstructed, else whatever impressions you receive upon the tablets of your mind in the school will day by day melt and disappear, like wax in the sun. Withdraw them somewhere far from the sun while you have these waxen sentiments. 107. We must approach this matter in a different way. It is great and mystical. It is no common thing, nor given to every man. Wisdom alone, it may be, will not suffice for the care of youth. A man needs also a certain measure of readiness, an aptitude for the office, aye, and certain bodily qualities, and above all, to be counseled of God himself to undertake this post even as he counseled Socrates to fill the post of one who confutes error, assigning to Diogenes the royal office of high reproof, and to Zeno that of positive instruction. Whereas you would fain set up for a physician, provided with nothing but drugs, where and how they should be applied, you neither know nor care. 108. If what charms you is nothing but abstract principles, Sit down and turn them over quietly in your mind, but never dub yourself a philosopher, nor suffer others to call you so. Say rather, he is in error, for my desires, my impulses are unaltered. I give in my adhesion to what I did before, nor has my mode of dealing with the things of sense undergone any change. 109. When a friend inclined to cynic views, asked Epictetus, what sort of person a true cynic should be, requesting a general sketch of the system, he answered, We will consider that at leisure. At present I content myself with saying this much. If a man puts his hand to so weighty a matter without God, the wrath of God abides upon him. 
that which he covets will but bring upon him public shame. Not even on finding himself in a well-ordered house does a man step forward and say to himself, I must be master here, else the lord of that house takes notice of it, and seeing him insolently giving orders, drags him forth and chastises him. So it is also in this great city, the world. Here also there is a lord of the house, who orders all thing. Thou art the sun, in thine orbit thou hast power to make the year and the seasons, to bid the fruits of the earth to grow and increase, the winds arise and fall, thou canst in due measure cherish with thy warmth the frames of men, go make thy circuit, and thus minister to all from the greatest to the least. Thou canst lead a host against Troy, be Agamemnon, thou canst meet Hector in single combat, be Achilles. But had Thersites stepped forward and claimed the chief command, he had been met with a refusal, or obtained it only to his own shame and confusion of face, before a cloud of witnesses. 110. Others may fence themselves with walls and houses, when they do such deeds as these, and wrap themselves in darkness, ay, they have many a device to hide themselves. Another may shut his door and station one before his chamber to say, If any comes, he has gone forth, he is not at leisure. But the true cynic will have none of these things. Instead of them, he must wrap himself in modesty, else he will but bring himself to shame, naked and under the open sky. That is his house, that is his door, that is the slave that guards his chamber, that is his darkness. 111. Death? Let it come when it will, whether it smite but a part of the whole. Fly, you tell me, fly, but whither shall I fly? Can any man cast me beyond the limits of the world? It may not be, and whithersoever I go, there shall I still find sun, moon, and stars. There I shall find dreams and omens, and converse with the gods. 112. Furthermore, the true cynic must know that he is sent as messenger from God to men, to show unto them that as touching good and evil they are in error, looking for these where they are not to be found, nor ever bethinking themselves where they are. And like Diogenes, when brought before Philip after the battle of Chaeronea, the cynic must remember that he is a spy, for a spy he really is, to bring back word what things are on man's side and what against him, and when he had diligently observed all, he must come back with a true report, not terrified into announcing them to be foes that are no foes, nor otherwise perturbed or confounded by the things of sense. 113. How can it be that one who hath nothing, neither raiment, nor house, nor home, nor bodily tendance, nor servant, nor city, should yet live tranquil and contented? Behold, God hath sent you a man to show you an act and deed that it may be so. Behold me, I have neither house nor possessions nor servants, the ground is my couch, I have no wife, no children, no shelter, nothing but earth and sky, and one poor cloak, and what lack I yet? Am I not untouched by sorrow, by fear? Am I not free? When have I laid anything to the charge of God or man? When have I accused any? Hath any of you seen me with a sorrowful countenance? And in what wise treat I those of whom you stand in fear and awe? Is it not as slaves? Who, when he seeth me, 
doth not think that he beholdeth his master and his king. 114. Give thyself more diligently to reflection. Know thyself. Take counsel with the Godhead. Without God put thine hand unto nothing. 115. But to marry and to rear offspring, said the young man, will the cynic hold himself bound to undertake this as a chief duty? Grant me a republic of wise men, answered Epictetus, and perhaps none will lightly take the cynic life upon him. For on whose account should he embrace that method of life? Suppose, however, that he does. There will then be nothing to hinder his marrying and rearing offspring. For his wife will be even such another in himself, and likewise her father, and in like manner will his children be brought up. But in the present condition of things, which resembles an army in battle array, ought not the cynic to be free from all distraction, and given wholly to the service of God, so that he can go in and out among men, neither fettered by the duties nor entangled by the relations of common life? For if he transgress them, he will forfeit the character of a good man and true, whereas, if he observe them, there is an end to him as the messenger, the spy, the herald of the gods. End of section 5